Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. If you would, please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is maybe the most uncomfortable chapter in the entire Bible. And we get to go through over the next two weeks. Um, It's uncomfortable, really, whatever kind of denomination you grew up in. If you grew up Presbyterian or Baptist or Catholic or Lutheran or Pentecostal, wherever you grew up, there's probably something in this chapter that will make you feel very uncomfortable uh, I think I was telling, I think it was David this past week. I'm like, if, if people stick around through the next two weeks and stay at Jacobswell Church, I think they're going to stay for a while uh, because we will probably um, get uncomfortable a little bit. But if we believe that God is good, as we just sang, and if we believe this is God's word, then it's his word for our good. And so we want to receive it hopefully without bias, but honestly, as he seeks to teach us. So just to recap, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you remember, it's a chapter that talks about how the the church is one body with many parts. We all have different functions and different gifts, but we need one another, and we are a blessing to one another um, to to, to, to make up the body of Christ. And then chapter 13 is the love chapter, the one that's often read at weddings, but it's applied to the church and saying, listen, whatever your gift is, what's most important is love, that you're doing it in love towards God and towards one another. And then Paul continues that message today, talking about how we should use our spiritual gifts to serve and to love one another. And today he focuses specifically on two spiritual gifts that were causing division in the church in Corinth. And that is the gift of prophecy and of speaking in tongues. And those are two gifts that still cause quite a bit of division in the church today. Um, And so I want to briefly, before I read this passage, give you a brief definition of speaking in tongues and of prophecy, just to give you kind of categories as we read through. And then we'll, we'll go into more detail about it uh, after we read the passage. But tongues, we'll simply define this way. It is speech understood by God alone. And so if you heard someone speaking in tongues, it wouldn't make sense to you. Um, it's, it's like a foreign language, but the foreign language is another universe. It, it's, it's, a, it's a heavenly language, I guess, if you could say. It's, it's a language that only God understands, okay? And then there is prophecy, which is an exhortation understood by other people. And I take this from a, from a charismatic uh, pastor who says prophecy is basically an exhortation. It's a way of giving encouragement to others or to urge them towards something. But it's spoken in the, the native language uh, for us, which would be English, in which people can understand it. So in summary, tongues is a language that nobody understands, even the one who speaks it, uh, and, and, and prophecy is something that is spoken, an exhortation given in the native tongue wherever you so happen to be. Okay, you got it? All right, that's important as we read through this passage. So let's look together to God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, um, and we'll read verses 1 through 25. If you have a red Bible, we're page 960 
in the Red Bible. This is God's word. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if, you, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For I pray in a tongue, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with, with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. But in your thinking, be mature. In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders of unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy and, all, and, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his hearts are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, there is a lot in this passage. It is a thick passage, but there is so much to teach us. And so God, pray that you would help us understand what, what it means for us, what it means for how we speak towards one another, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name, 
Amen. D.A. Carson is a uh, theologian and professor, and he tells a story about one of his colleagues going to speak at a local church, and it, it was a more charismatic church, and his colleague got up and started to recite uh, the Gospel of John, verse 1 through 18, in Greek, because that's the original language of the New Testament, is Greek. And so he recited from memory, because uh, he's brilliant, John 1, 1 through 18, in Greek. And when he was done doing so, a gentleman in the congregation stood up and started to interpret, because he thought that this colleague was speaking in tongues. And what he interpreted, of course, was not John 1, 1 through 18. I think in our culture, we're a little bit eager to jump on these gifts and to practice certain gifts. And it's certainly, at the very least, very confusing. I know in my college ministry, I was on a retreat and there was a man who said he had the gift of prophecy and he would come and, and tell people what their future was going to be. And so there's a lot of confusion surrounding these gifts of tongues and prophecy. And so today, I simply want to look at this passage to understand what are tongues what is prophecy and what are the characteristics of it and what does that mean for us, okay? So first, I just wanna start with the question, what are tongues? And again, in today's passage, we're given several characteristics of tongues. Paul spends most of his time talking about tongues and there are five characteristics that I wanna show you from today's passage. The first characteristic is this, that tongues are understood by God alone. Look at verse two with me. It says, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. It's important to note that in the scriptures, there are different types of tongues, okay? At least two. Um, this one here, the Greek word is glossa, which literally means your tongue. I mean, it's the, the organ that you speak with, but it can also be describing a, a language, typically a prayer language that really only God understands. Not even the speaker understands what they're saying, but that God understands it. But if you look in Acts chapter two, there's another type of tongues. And in Greek, it is eteros glossa, which eteros means other. And so it's an uh, other tongue or a another tongue. And these tongues are tongues of foreign people, okay? People that are, so it could be Spanish, it could be French, it could be Japanese, it could be Portuguese, it could be English. It's a, it's a language for one of the people groups of the world, all right? And so I just want to read to you from Acts chapter 2 so you can see the difference with this. Remember, as we looked at 1 Corinthians 14, it was a language that nobody could understand. This is much different. Acts 2 says this, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. That's eteros glossa. As the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So this Pentecost was a Jewish festival in which people would come in from all over the world to celebrate. Verse 6 says, And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, that word there is dialectos, which we get the word dialect. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own 
native language. And so, again, people are speaking in their native language and others are hearing it in their native language. And then he goes on to list out the countries there. He says, Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And so what you have happening in Acts chapter 2 is people come from all of these nations and they proclaim the mighty works of God, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they hear it in their own language and then take it back home with them to proclaim the gospel to their countrymen and countrywomen. And so that's, that's eteros glossa, it's tongues in another language, another a dialect within the world. But again, in 1 Corinthians 14, this is a tongue that's not understood by other people, not even by the person who's speaking it, okay? So, so first we find out tongues are understood by God alone. Second thing we find out in this passage is that tongues are self-edifying, okay? Verse four says, the one who speaks in tongues builds up himself. Now, if you read the rest of that verse, it probably sounds like this is a bad thing, that it's selfish. I don't think it is. I think it's saying, listen, those who speak in tongues actually grow in their communion with God through speaking in tongues. Uh, Even though it's an unintelligible language to them or, or to other people, it helps foster their intimacy with God. Now, I'll give you an example of this. So, Um, I don't speak in tongues. I never have spoken in tongues, but I have spoken to God in unintelligible language. Uh, Scripture calls it groans, okay? Romans chapter eight talks about all of creation groaning towards God. I don't know if you've ever experienced this where you are so hurt or so confused or so frustrated that you don't have words to articulate what you're feeling in your heart to God. And so you just groan towards God. And what's amazing is that God understands it. Even if you cannot put it into words, God understands what your groans mean. In a very similar way, these are different, but I think when people speak in tongues, they're uttering something that they don't understand, and yet God understands it, and there is a communion that is built up between them and God, and it is a beautiful thing. I think an illustration of this just from common life is is moms of of newborns. It's, It's always amazing to me Um, And I've shared this before, but it's amazing to me how a baby will cry and a mom will know exactly what that child wants, right? So the baby will go, wah, and they'll be, oh, the baby's hungry, or oh, the baby's tired, or ah, and oh, you know, the the baby wants their hairbrush, right? Like they just know what the baby wants simply by their groans. It's amazing. And the dad's like, what's going on here? My child's speaking in tongues and my wife understands it, right? Because it's, they, but they know the groans of their child. And if that's true, how much more of our heavenly father, when we groan because we don't have words to articulate what we're feeling, our father understands. And this is one of the benefits of speaking in tongues. And so that's why in verse five, Paul says, now I want you all to speak in tongues. Now, I want to talk about this just for a second, because I've had person after person after person come up to me over the past few weeks and tell me stories about how when they were in a certain church, uh, they were trying to force them to speak in tongues. And they were even coaching them, do it like this, say, you know, and there's different comical ways that they'll do it, but trying to coerce them into speaking in tongues. And they'll go to this verse, I think, and say, God says, I want all of you to speak in tongues, Right? Well, if you look back just a few chapters, Paul also says, I want all of you to be single. Um, 
And so what does Paul mean by this? What Paul's communicating is I want you to experience the benefits of this spiritual gift, whether it be singleness or tongues, which is communion with God. And in the last chapter, Paul makes very clear uh, that whatever gift you have been given, it has been apportioned to you by God. And so if you have the gift of spiritual tongues or of tongues, God has given that to you. If you don't, that has been God's choice. And so we can't coerce God into giving us a spiritual gift. It is given by God alone according to his wisdom and his love. And so, all right, just to recap, tongues are spoken uh, of here in 1 Corinthians, are understood by God alone, uh, not by others. They are self-edifying, cultivating a relationship with God. The third thing we see is that tongues are not beneficial to other believers. Verse 6 through 11 says, now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? In other words, something that you can understand. Verse 7, if even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And so Beth was up here beautifully playing the piano and singing, and you knew what song it was. If I started to play the piano, you would say, stop, right? Because you would have no idea. you say, it sounds like a garbage truck. But if you play a song that people can understand, it benefits us. Verse 8, he says, and if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? All right, so I have a quiz for you here. I'm curious. So if you hear a bugle and it would go, do, 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 what comes next? Charge. Thank you. Somebody knew it. Thank you. I wasn't embarrassed. But have you ever heard that? Boop, 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 boop. Charge, right? Because it's a distinct sound. If it just went, boop, you wouldn't know what to do, right? It's a distinct sound. It's informative. And Paul says our words should be informative as well towards one another. Verse 9, so with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. And so if someone is speaking in tongues, it would be the same as if I spoke to you in Portuguese. You'd have no idea what was being said. And so it's not profitable for the church, for others in the church to build them up. And so what we learn here is that speaking in tongues is not beneficial for other Christians. But as we move on, what we find out is that the interpretation of the tongue is beneficial for other Christians. If people put it into a prophecy, into a teaching, then it is beneficial. Verse 4, I'm sorry, uh, verse 13 says, Therefore, one who speaks in tongue should pray that he may interpret. Why interpret? So that other people understand the message that God is communicating. Verse 14, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. It's internal. But my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. I love these verses because it's kind of highlighting the weaknesses of different strands of Christianity. So within the charismatic movement, uh, there are people that are, quote, full of the spirit and excited about God. And they have a heart for God and for his people and for his mission to the world. And it's wonderful. But sometimes what can happen is they can major in heart, but then diminish the truth. 
And so even my dad, who's a Pentecostal, he'll say, I go to a Pentecostal church, but then he'll say, but one that teaches the Bible. Like he feels like he has to qualify it because he knows there's a lot of more charismatic churches that run with emotion, which is not a bad thing, but forsake the truth of God's word. And so it feels like he has to give this caveat. In the same way, we might say, you know, I go to a Bible-believing church, but we love the Holy Spirit, right? Like, and we love Jesus and we know the love of Jesus. And we, you know, because, because what can happen, scripture tells us to, to be full of love and truth, right? And what can happen is we can major in one and forsake the other. And it's so good that God has given us these different strands within Christianity that we can expose each other's blind spots. Do you know what I'm saying? And so we can say to our Pentecostal brother or sister, like, like, I love your heart and it's convicting to me to see your passion to share the good news of Christ with everyone. And maybe we could be a blessing to them to say, no, we need to go back to God's word and see if we're doing this consistently with what he says. And so what we see is that tongues are, are not beneficial to other believers unless there's an interpretation of it for others. All right, the next and final thing about tongues that we see here is that tongues are not beneficial to unbelievers. Verse 16 says, Otherwise, if you give thanks in tongues with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not, when he does not know what you are saying? So the word amen means truly, okay? So if you hear a good you know, point in a sermon, you can say amen, all right? That's, we love that. Uh, probably don't have to use that much because you won't hear many good points. But say amen, you're saying truly. Like that's good news, that's truth from God. But if someone is giving thanks in a unintelligible language, you can't say amen because you don't know what they're saying. And that's what Paul's saying here. Verse 17, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Verse 19, Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So I don't trust my math so much. So I asked Alexa, I said, what is 10,000 divided by five? And it turns out that, uh, that according to Alexa, it is 5,000 times better to speak a word that is understandable than to speak a tongue within a congregation. Verse 21, in the law it is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So this needs a little bit of explaining. In the Old Testament, there's three different occasions in which the people of God would not listen to God. They would not obey God. And so part of God's judgment upon them was to put them into a foreign nation where that foreign nation that was ruling over them wouldn't understand their language and they wouldn't understand theirs. And they would see the frustration of other people not listening to them and understand God's frustration of his people not listening to him. And so this was God's judgment on them. It was a sign of judgment on them, okay? So verse 22, it says, the tongues are signs, not a good sign, but a sign of judgment, not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Here's the thing. Us Christians are weird enough as it is. I mean, we're, we're a peculiar bunch, all right? And that's, a lot of that's good. Some of it's not so good. We don't need to get weirder. Like, and that's what he said. Like, if you are gathered together speaking in tongues and someone comes in that's not a Christian, they will say, 
this is bizarre, and they'll run away and never come back. Now, God is sovereign, but, but this is what this passage is saying, okay? And so it's not beneficial for unbelievers, but rather it's a barrier to people hearing the good news of the gospel. And so just to review, uh, tongues spoken of here in 1 Corinthians are understood by God alone. Uh, they are self-edifying and nourishing a person's relationship with the Lord. Uh, they're not beneficial to other believers unless it is interpreted. Um, and it is not beneficial uh, to unbelievers because it can be a barrier to the gospel. And so I just want to say, if you're here and this is a gift that God has given to you, praise God for it. Uh, foster that gift and, and enjoy it and cultivate it to grow in intimacy with God. Um, but if it's not, Praise God, because God apportions the gifts as he wills. And you don't need other people to pressure you into having a spiritual gift. You can be honest and enjoy the gifts that God has given to you. So, okay, so that is speaking in tongues. All right, that was big. All right, now we're going to move into prophecy. And Paul doesn't say quite as much about this, so we have three characteristics he lists out here. Uh, More than that, as a brother reminded me this morning. But prophecy is an exhortation that is understood by other people. That's very important, that other people can understand what is being said. And so in some ways, what I'm doing right now is prophecy, if you can understand it. So um, what are some characteristics of prophecy? So first we see prophecy edifies believers. Look at verse one through five with me again. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And so all spiritual gifts are good, but there seems to be some sort of prominence that Paul gives to prophecy to edify other believers. Verse two, he says, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding or their edification and their encouragement, that is to exhort or to admonish in consultation, that is to comfort or console. Verse four, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Again, he's giving a priority to this spiritual gift of prophecy, I think especially within corporate worship or amongst other believers. And so you see here, uh, prophecy is edifying other believers. The second characteristic we see is that prophecy convicts and calls unbelievers. Verse 24 says, but if all prophecy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. And so as we speak the truths of God, about the holiness of God, the awesomeness of God, the love of God, but also the truths about man, the wickedness of our souls, the depravity of our passions, as we speak the truths of God, what happens is that people here and through the Holy Spirit are convicted of their sinfulness and their wretchedness and their undeservingness of God. And what happens through that conviction is that they're led to repentance, to confess their sin before God and to look to Christ and Christ alone for their salvation because they are wretched within and within of themselves. And so they will look to Christ and his sacrifice upon the cross for their sin and his raising to new life 
for new life in Christ. And so it convicts and calls unbelievers onto Christ. It edifies believers. Finally, prophecies must be scrutinized. Let's jump to next week's passage, verse 29. It says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Literally, it means to judge. To judge whether what they say is true or not, if it's in accordance with God's word. Verse 30, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject or subordinate to prophets. And so when someone speaks and they seek to speak the truth of God, it is your calling to judge them. (laughs) to judge what they say, to discern if it is consistent with God's word. And so as I preach, you should be judging and discerning whether or not what I say is true in accordance with God's word. And if it is, then you should allow God's word to critique you, to change you and transform you and edify you and build you up. Now, this is a major difference from Old Testament prophecy. This is important to understand. Old Testament prophecy, if someone prophesied, and it did not come true, if they were found out to be a false prophet, in the Old Testament, they were told to stone the person, okay? Because they were a false prophet. And so they're supposed to be put to death because the prophets in that time were, were speaking what was becoming scripture. This was very important. But when you get to the New Testament, prophecy doesn't seem to have that distinction. They say, discern. Some of the stuff they say is true. Some of it's not true. You need to discern it and critique it and understand if it is consistent with God's word. And if it is, then let it critique you. So the Old Testament, they weren't to critique the prophets. They were simply let the prophecies critique them. But now it goes both ways. There needs to be discernment in the way that we speak to one another. And Paul Paul encourages us to prophesy and even prioritizes it because prophecy is powerful. Um, Paul says tongues are good for you, but prophecy is much better in the church because it edifies believers. It convicts and calls unbelievers. You know, I believe in the power of prophecy because uh, of, of what happens every weekend. Um, on Saturdays, my wife will often ask me, hey, how is the sermon going? And, uh, and I will say, it is awful. Like, it is the worst. I don't even, come, like, you shouldn't even come to church. It's so bad. It's not going to be good. Um, literally, probably 75% of the time, that's what I say. Other times, I'm like, it's okay. And so I'll get up, and I will preach the sermon that, that I have prepared, and I'm just like eking it out, trying, and I'm like, this is confusing. I didn't articulate this right or that right or the other thing. And afterwards, I'm like, I'm kind of glad it's done. That's typically how it goes. I'm sorry to give you behind the scenes look. But then what happens after the sermon is someone will come up and say, it's as if God was talking to me directly. Were you following me this week? Did you read my journal? How did you know what to say? It happens all the time. My favorite, I mean, this is kind of, I didn't say it first. My favorite, someone will say, you know, it's so powerful when you said this. And I'm sitting there thinking, I didn't say that. <laughs> I'm not sure where you, but praise be to God, right? That's wonderful. It, Kevin DeYoung is a pastor. He was speaking at a pastor's conference and I could so relate to this. He's like, when you come up to preach, it feels like you're facing a dragon and you have a straw and you have spitballs and you're just sitting up there going, hoping to slay the dragon with spitballs. But what happens, much to my surprise, is when the spitball lands, 
There is a gospel nuclear explosion in people's hearts by the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. I don't think prophecy is just for me. I actually think prophecy is for all Christians because we are all called to be prophets, priests, and kings. And prophets are proclaimers of the truths of God, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reality is, is that while I can be your preacher, I can't always be your pastor. It's just physically impossible because I'm not everywhere at one time. I'm not God, right? And so God has created all of us to be prophets, to speak God's truth into each other's lives. And it's so important that we do this. And it's so hard because right now people have receded into isolation because of the coronavirus. And some people are happy being there, but that is a place of self-destruction. It's not good for you. It's not healthy for you. We need community. We need one another. And so if you are thinking about signing up for a small group, or if you're not thinking about it, please do so because God has called us to be together, to speak truth into one another's lives so that we can build one another up. Amen. Thank you. And so that brings us to our final point. What is the point of all this? Why, why is Paul talking about tongues and why does he prefer prophecy over tongues in the midst of a corporate worship service? And what you see in this passage is that there is a, a word that is repeated quite a bit. And it's the word oikodome in Greek. But, but it reads this, and I'll, I'll show you. So verse 3, it says, On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Verse 5 at the end, it says, uh, Unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Verse 12. So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Verse 26 says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. And so what is the purpose of the gifts that God has given to you? Whether it be, you know, whatever it might be, why has God given you those, those gifts? It's to build one another up, to help one another grow into the likeness of Christ, to speak to one another. I know that feels scary and dangerous because you might get embarrassed, but God has called you to love and serve and to speak his truth to one another, to build one another up. You know, we live in a world that is constantly tearing us down. Our boss tears us down. Our family members tear us down. Our own thoughts tear us down. How wonderful is it to be around a person who builds you up? Maybe you know a person like that, a person that is an encourager, that will speak to you the truths of God, the good news of God, over and over and over again to lift you up into the realms of heaven with the truths of the gospel. God calls us to build one another up. Ephesians 4 puts it this way, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. You know, it's interesting, just, I'm going a little long, but as I was dwelling on this about building up yesterday, I was thinking of an illustration for it. I never came up with one, to be honest with you. But I was, I was with my kids and I just realized how bad I am at this. Um, I'll give them encouragement now and then, uh, but there are times where if they say something that I don't think is smart, I'll kind of give that passive, like, Ugh, you know, do you ever do that? Maybe I'm the only one. How convicting is this? 
to speak what builds up one another. And it starts in the household. That's the hardest place to do it, at least for me. But then also to build up one another. Let me end with this. Um, I'll occasionally have a, a, a young guy in the church um, ask me, say, hey, Pastor Dan, will you disciple me? And their desire is to be built up, which is a really good thing. And I will uh, lovingly and graciously say, no. <laughs> I, I love you. I care for you. But join a small group. Um, and, and I think one-on-one discipleship is great. I don't think it is uh, enough. I think it's great, but it's insufficient. Because you need other people speaking truth into your life. They hear me speaking from the pulpit enough. They need others speaking into their life. So I want to encourage you to connect with one or to speak God's truth, God's word to one another, to encourage one another and to build one another up. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are the word become flesh and you have come to build us up, to bring us into relationship with our heavenly father. May we mirror that within our own nuclear family and within our own church family. Give us wisdom as we think through these really confusing topics of of prophecy and speaking in tongues, Lord. But God, whatever we do, may we do it with love to build up one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.